television, they tie your hands behind your back as an actor, unless you're the star. I mean, I've got on there and I've had really kind of some bad experiences with television execs because I'm, I'm an independent film actor. And sometimes it takes me a minute to get into the groove. And then I'm like, I'm like a chef. I'm giving you a different option every which way. But on television, they want something very, very precise. If you're not the lead pushing the show along, you're this, just there to move that storyline along. So you just come in and say lines and get out of the way. And that is all television. Like, here's our formula. Don't mess it up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Next. Uh, independent movies, yeah, you're right. You get to play. You get to play. Welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lee. We've all heard the stories of an actor who caught their big break while walking the dog down the street and catching the eye of a big shot casting director, or happy to be the kid of a prominent mom or dad, or booked a major role on their first audition because of plain old-fashioned good luck and being in the right place at the right time. My guest today is not one of those actors. He's achieved his success through a tireless work ethic and sheer talent. Today, I'm speaking with Randy Wayne. Randy's the kind of person working in show business that makes it look easy. It isn't, but he sure makes it look that way. As an actor and producer has worked predominantly in the horror genre, Randy has played everything from heroes to villains, leading men to supporting. He's always 100% committed, and his versatility has served him well. You've seen him in studio horror, indie horror, and television horror, where he had a recurring role on HBO's hit True Blood. Randy and I discuss his beginnings as an athlete who stumbled into acting quite by accident and quickly discovered that it was his calling the joys of location shooting, working with genre veterans like Dee Wallace and Lance Henriksen, and preparing for playing a serial killer who loves to drown his victims in death pool. Looking through Randy's credits, it's clear to see that he loves what he does because he keeps a tireless pace. He's always shooting, either in front or behind the camera. On top of this, he's a caring husband and father. I don't really know how he does it, but this conversation got me a little closer to figuring it out. We're all very familiar with the term Scream Queen, but let's talk some shop with one of the great Scream Kings, Randy Wayne. Hi, Randy. Thank you very much for uh, for doing this. I appreciate it. My pleasure. One of the things I like to do is sort of do a little bit of a, of a dive into people's Instagram or social media, see what they're what they're talking about or what they're posting. And I found one, and I'm not sure if you said this, but you posted this. It was just in quotes. Okay. So I don't know if this is your quote. You'll have to tell me. Uh, you said, or you quoted, It's called acting, but if you drown out your surroundings, focus on the movement and the story in which you're temporarily living in, it becomes your reality. Is that you, or did you get that from somewhere else? Or It sounds like something I would say, but I actually don't <laughs> yes, remember. How does. long ago was this? <laughs> uh, I could tell you. I could tell you, yeah. Um, it was... It's a great quote. You were doing Megan at the time, so that would have been 2020. I will, uh, I'll have to search for that quote online and see if it comes up, comes up with anything besides Randy Wayne. 
Let's pretend it is. Like, do you think part of what you were drawn to when you became an actor was like the, the opportunity to sort of change your story and and and, and it sort of affect your reality in the way that quote quote sort of suggests? I mean, that quote sort of suggests to me that you get to kind of go into a different time, place, world. You know, that that your whole surrounding becomes part of the narrative, and that you go to to that place, and it's, it means leaving behind your reality. Do you think that's part of was ever part of the appeal for you as an actor of becoming an actor? No, no, no. It was never becoming an actor for me was never about the art. Uh, it was never about the fame. It was strangely enough, it was about the rush. So I was an athlete and I had swam and ran cross country and scholarship on scholarship at college. And I moved to Orange County, California to swim. I thought that Oh, I've only swam for three years. I got 10th at the NAIA Nationals in college for Butterfly. How good could I be with real coaches and real experience? So I just took a shot to go to California. My aunt lived there, and um, my mom convinced me to get into it, and I was very against it, that it was for nerds. Uh, and then I took a class, and I did a performance of Lenny, of mice and men on a stage and I felt that rush. It felt so good and people enjoyed, appreciated me. I think it's important that you feel appreciated in whatever you do. And I felt super appreciated that I was ta talented and I'd never done this before. So again, I thought, how good could I be? <laughs> That's why I started acting. But now it is about something different. It's about those things that you mentioned. And my quote, I think it's my quote. <laughs> right, right. So you were born in Moore, Oklahoma. Um, now is this is this this is this seems to be like I'm curious if there's a, there's there's like a bit of a a, a cross pollination of whether this is actually true. Is your actual name last name Frederick? Is is Wayne your middle my name? My adopted adopted last name is Frederick, but my okay. birth last name was something different. Um, and then when I had moved, so my stepfather adopted me, so I I took his last name. And then when I uh, my mother got divorced to my stepfather, who I still consider you know a father to me, um, I just dropped it and said I'm just I'm Randy Wayne. There's no fatherly attachment to my name. It's just who I am is Randy Wayne. Okay, got it. Um, and so your did your your upbringing was your stepfather and your mom for the most part, or what was sort of what was family life like for you? You know, and then in Oklahoma, and then once you moved relocate to Orange County, and when did you relocate to Orange County? Yeah, I, family life, uh, you know, the biggest memories are just my brother and, you know, there was, I hated school with a passion. Um, I love sports. And so I went to school because I had to. Um, and then I played sports because I loved to. And I adored my older brother. But, you know, he was my older brother and didn't want me to be around him. So we had that game of me always trying to be cool and hang out with him. And then, you know, my, my parents were supportive in everything I did. I was pretty lucky. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was mother, stepfather, brother, and a younger sister who was so much younger that she was too young to really kind of grow up with me because I left at 17. Okay. And so your high school life was like more focused than on sports than it was on theater? I didn't do theater at all. You know, I, okay. I, I was, I was actually in horticulture, um, and I was good at it. My, we were on an interscholastics team for Future Farmers of America. I thought maybe I might just become a farmer, and I was very far from a farmer in my high school. If you knew me, 
I stuck out like a sore thumb at those competitions. Uh, but we were state champions two years in a row for nursery landscape, and I had scholarship to Oklahoma State for horticulture. And uh, it was going to be my future. I, I assumed if baseball or something didn't work <laughs> work out, and obviously that didn't work out. So, because you, you studied botany at, at university, is it right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I didn't take the scholarship at Oklahoma State. I ended up taking a swimming scholarship at Campbellsville University in Kentucky. Okay. And and while I was there, I I, I was going to major in botany. So when did you talked about doing like of mice and stuff? When did theater enter the equation? University? Uh, I was nineteen. No, I did one year of college, and I moved back to Oklahoma, and I said. Well, that was not a real college experience. It was a very small Baptist school, smaller than my high school. Uh, it was on a dry campus. I played two sports at the same time. I was exhausted. Uh, so I went back home and I thought, okay, um, what do I do now? My mother said, you could stay here and get back into baseball and play baseball at junior college and then you go to a bigger school. Uh, or your aunt lives in Orange County, some of the best swimming in the world. And I said, when do I move? And then theater came into play because she said, you should take a class and see what you think. So your mom kind of encouraged that. Yeah. 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 I was, I was, uh, I, I, you know, I judged, I judged theater. I thought it was dorky. I didn't, I didn't enjoy musical theater. I didn't enjoy going to see stage plays. I was like, Oh my God, I live in the real world. People. Like, you know, I'm just a kid, made up my own mind that sports was all that mattered, sports and, and being cool and hooking up with someone. So I soon realized I was wrong. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a, a, a notion of kind of the athlete, the jock, you know, that would look at that those that those groupings and the, the theater geeks, you know, that they don't mix very well. I'm curious if, like, when you started getting into theater and into performing, like, did you have friends that were still on the athletic side that were kind of like, what are you doing? Like, what's what, why are you getting into that? Like, did you experience any no, of that? No, because I, I had left really the more judgmental baseball play group. And when I started swimming, swimming is just full of uh, independent outcasts in a way, if you will. Swimmers are – it's an in, individual sport. I mean, you need to just – it's all about you. And there's a team aspect to it, but – you know, I was very anal in, in my in high school years. Like, I used to go to the bathroom between classes, and if I saw one hair sticking up, I'd pull it out because I was afraid that someone would be like, oh, his hair. And But when I started swimming, it changed. They would make fun of me for looking in the mirror, for fixing my hair, period. I started wearing, like, bell bottoms and polyester shirts with big collars and just, like, thrift store shopping every single day. It changed who I was. It was a really good, a good thing for me. So when I got to – to take a couple of theater classes and acting classes, I think my no one thought I would actually have a career in acting. They're like, what? You? No. Um, I don't think anyone actually believed Randy Wayne will be famous one day or have an acting career. But uh, nonetheless, they didn't uh, discourage me. What was your first uh, gig like where you were on set? And whether it was, you know, because it was, I was a little, looking at your IMDb, it was like a little hard to discern exactly what the first hmm. one was. Uh, what was your first set experience and what was that like? Kevin, it was, it was awful. <laughs> really? I, I uh, had, I was acting in a time of hard submissions when I first started where we had Backstage West and it was this massive paper, newspaper, weekly, whatever. And it had all the movies in there, and you could I would go through and highlight the ones I'm right for, 
bring a headshot out, write my character name on it, put it in a mail envelope, put a 60 cent stamp on it, send it off. I did like 20 or 30 of those a week. And I would audition. I was pretty good auditioning, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And I booked this student film for Chapman University. And it was a little scene uh, as a waiter. And I was so nervous. I could not remember my lines at all. I, I just, I still remember the line that I was tripped up by. Was, let's hear uh, it. Well, let's, let's hear a line reading of, of that line. It was, I think I, I had to say, um, can I interest you in some wine? And she said, <laughs> yes, what, what, what do you recommend? And I said, uh, I would have the gorgeous Merlot. It is most exquisite. But I couldn't even say that. It took probably like six takes to even say the line without messing up. Yeah. So it was an eye opener, but I didn't let it slow me down. And I just uh, said, that's not going to happen again. And do, do you remember like what your thoughts were at that time of like, you know, being because, of course, it's a big thing when you get into film and television, you're, you're on set and there's, you know, a crew and like theater is such a different world and theater, like, you know, you start, you get in front of the audience and all that exists at that point is you and the audience. And, and for some actors, the audience doesn't even exist. They're just in it and, and everything else sort of fades away. But I feel like in film, it's not that way. So like, do you remember, you know, having that moment of being like, holy shit, there's all these people around me and there's all these lights and like how you reacted to that? Yeah, you know, it's important to note that I never did theater at all. Um, I took a class at a at South Coast Repertory Theater, but I never did actual theater, so I was very inexperienced. Uh, and so I, I remember being excited, nervous, going to set. I remember being shocked the other actors knew all their lines because they had so, many, so much dialogue back and forth, and I remember being embarrassed that I couldn't remember mine. And looking around and, you know, everyone was young. It was a student film. So uh, I don't remember. The judgment didn't stick with me. The embarrassment is what stuck with me. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> uh, it, it is something that I do, you do even as an experienced actor. If someone walks by your eye line, you're like, what are you doing? Like, it, it's distracting. So you do, you do notice people unless you're really locked in. Right. And so, okay, then... Like, I noticed you have some TV credits for a while there. I'm assuming, like, you know, walk-ons and bit parts, stuff like that. Uh, like, one-offs, guest bits. Um, and then uh, and then you did Scar in 2005, which was your first horror credit. When you were doing the, the, the TV stuff before you did Scar, you know, that's, that's what you, you're talking about starting in a student film, which is where a lot of people start. Uh, I think whether you're a filmmaker or an actor or whatever, a lot of people... I, I don't know about now, but they used to start... In in the, you know in some kind of student film when yeah. you started moving into network television and stuff like that did, was that what was that experience were, were you like oh, okay this is this moves at a different tempo this is a very different thing than being on a student film you know what I mean was that exciting for you or well, you, or was that uh, nervousness there again I think the dates on IMDb are just very off because uh, I had done a lot of independent movies before television uh, okay. I had made a lot of mistakes before I went to television. Uh, and Terror Tunes 2 was my first one, and then Scar was right afterwards. Um, IMDb's I dead think. wrong, then, because Terror Tunes is, like, quite a bit further down. Like, we, it's, Terror Tunes is, comes in, on IMDb, it's Terror Tunes it comes after a movie called The Fun Park in 2007. Uh, no, nah. yeah, that's definitely way off. Sometimes people change the date on there to make the film seem more relevant, I think. Right. Uh, more recent. But I will say that my first television credit 
it was exciting because everyone, that was the thing. I, can I get into television? Can I get a real paycheck? This is it. And I booked a show called Living with Fran. And Living with Fran, Fran Drescher? You know, with Fran Drescher. Yeah. yeah. And so I was so excited. Big cast director, Greg Orson. And they cast me. I was like, they chose me. Oh, wow. Okay. This is it. This is happening. And I'm not, in, they talk about my character the whole show. I'm not in it until the very end. I walk on set and I say one line. Well, I had done probably three or four feature films or five or six at this point. And I went to the table read and I sat there for the whole table read. And then I said my last line, my only line. And they, I got a call from my agent the next day. I said, they cut your character. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> they just said, I said, what? I said, they just, it happens to everybody. So don't, don't freak out. But they just said they didn't need it. It didn't really pay off. And I was like, oh. Was it me? He said, maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Just do better. And do, do you think you took it on in that way? Do you think you thought, oh, that it, it was me? Or do you think you just accepted his answer? I, I think that I think that I just didn't, you know, I, I think it was an easy drop of a character, but uh, I think it was me. So, all right, well then let's, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go IMDB order for, because that's what my notes say, and you can correct me as okay. we move along here. So okay. I have the I have your first horror film as being Scar. What was the first horror film you actually shot then? Feature. I had done a lot of short films, but I think my first feature was God, it was either Scar or Terror Tunes. I'm not even sure which one was first. Um let's go with with Terror Tunes. Terror Tunes. Alright, let's go yeah. with Terror Tunes. I have all kinds of questions for you about Terror Tunes. <laughs> I watched Terror Tunes. It wasn't the easiest movie to get a hold of, but I did watch it. Um, what a fucking acid trip of a movie that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I think they, they made four now, I think. I was like, from the opening credits, which were like this bizarre, like animated, just crazy, like I was like, what? A, even the credits are weird. Um, and there was this, like, this was my experience with watching Terror Tunes. Credits come up, I go, oh, this is good. This is probably going to be weird then. And then there's this scene where, like, um, right at the beginning, where, where they're, they're set up, like, a spread for their, a birthday party, I think it is. Um, and, and there's all these different things, casseroles and desserts and stuff like that. And then there's, like, this one little dish of, like, mini carrots. And the housekeeper picks up one of the carrots and takes a bite and goes, oh, these are fabulous. And I was like, why wouldn't she have picked one of the like baked goods or one of the casserole? It's a fucking carrot. Like, and she's really excited about the carrot. I was like, what a weird choice. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? And then as the movie played on, I was like, oh, this whole movie is one weird, weird choice, choice after yeah. the other. Yeah. Like, um, and it was funny because I was thinking like when you got the script for that movie, what what was it? What like what what went through your head reading that movie? Were you like, oh, this is fun, or you're like, this is crazy? Like, what did you sort of, what did you think? Do you remember? Yeah, I actually do. I I got a phone call after the audition from the director Joe Castro, who I'm now friends with, and we worked together more recently. But at the time, I was young, and and he's like, I'll you the part, and I just had questions like, hold on, okay, so. There's no pay, no pay. Okay, and I, you know, he just didn't like that I even asked questions at all. So I, he almost recast me, and then I did the film. And 
when you're not experienced and you don't know what it's like to to really read a, a full feature film script and you know what's good or what's bad, you use your imagination. So I imagine this being not like it was. I imagined it being a bigger budget. I didn't even know what the budget was. I didn't care. I just thought like I'm, <clears throat> I'm acting in a feature film. Huge. In your head, it's going to be who framed uh, Roger Rabbit. You know what I mean? It's going to be like... Yes, it could be yeah, anything like right. that. And so I thought, yeah. oh, this is just going to be what a cool experience to say I'm in a feature film that might get to go to Blockbuster. That's where it was at for me. And so I just was excited to do it. And my roommate at the time was also in the film. So we played like the ambiguously gay duo yeah. uh, where we were, you know, that's what they kept calling us on set. Um, and so it was just fun for us to work together. And, you know, I watch it and I'm like, wow. <laughs> I've really had to glow up. Yeah, it was. There was like a. It's such a, it's a bizarre movie. Like, there's so many random close-ups of people eating, and I was like, I'm sure that's designed just because people don't like close-ups of people eating. And there's all these close-ups just randomly of people stuffing their faces with food and like. You're right. Yeah. Then there's like a part where Brink Steven shows up as like a who's sort of a genre staple. She's you know she's been in so many horror films as like uh -huh. a insanely over-the-top kind of witch character um and, and then but then it got to a scene where i was like there was this i'm sure you'll recall this there's a scene where your character uh is basically sexually assaulted by this kind of Chuck E. cheese animatronic like kind of woman character it's sort of a raggedy ann looking thing yeah. and then there's like cartoon yeah. fleas is it, okay, yeah, and there's like cartoon fleas being composited all around it, and when I was watching it, I was like, as an actor, but you, you know, you still have to play the horror of this scene and of of the you know of being sexually assaulted by this creature, and I'm like, but how the fuck do you take that seriously on the day? Well, I I could say at the time, I think that's one of the fun things about acting is that that is convincing yourself that it's real. And I'm not saying that I did a good job in that movie, but there are times in my career where I really have convinced myself that something's real and the emotions are unstoppable. Like even after you, they say cut, you just have a, you keep crying. Um, or if you're scared, it could still kind of stick with you as you leave set and you're kind of nervous about stuff. So getting to that level is incredible. Um, I did not probably get to that level in Terror Tunes to the Sick and Silly show. But you know, you try your best. I I thought you did pretty ah. good. I I thought you did pretty well. Like you know, I, I I was watching it thinking, well, I don't know how you know, Dustin Hoffman would have played this scene. You're like literally, it's like <laughs> this Chucky e. Machise animatronic is just like ripping your clothes off and shit. I'm just like, I don't. How do you? What do you draw on as an actor to yeah. do that? You know, what I mean, you have to just make it up because yeah. you don't. I I don't see how you I mean, would have anything to draw on there, right? There, there was a girl or two back in high school that I had that same feelings from. So it was there. <laughs> um, I and I also that. noticed you, you, your character gets kind of like this egg sack put into you that, that kind of mutates into this grotesque. It's, it's called green. cooties. Is that what it is? Uh -huh. It's cooties. That okay. was the, the cooties. It was condoms and uh, smack cereal and... It's not bad, it's actually. It was, it's it's a it's not a bad yeah. effect in the movie, like for such a low yeah. budget project. Like I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. And it wasn't, of course, your first time working with a sort of a prosthetic appliance. Like, do you like getting gored up and doing prosthetics and stuff? Do you enjoy that kind of thing? Uh, 
Yeah, I, I used to. It's been a long time. Um, I would love for it to happen again. Lately, it's just been more like black eye or, you know, the lip blood, which everyone does. Like They, they overdo because it's so simple. Yeah, it was funny. I was thinking recently watching, um, like, uh, for the show, I have, you know, it's part of the process. It's like when we're interviewing guests, you got to watch a lot of their material. And one thing I've been noticing lately that I, that I, that I was like, man, like, I wonder, if, I hope an actor one day will do this. Why is it so easy to knock people out in movies? Like, it's, you know, I've seen people get knocked on the head so many times in real life, myself included, mm-hmm. and I've never seen mm-hmm. anyone pass out from it. In movies, it's like mm-hmm. someone gets smacked and they're like, Psh, out. Like, that's one of those things where I'm just like, those are the devices well, where it's like, it'd be good to see them start doing away with certain... <laughs> I think that I'm with you, and I I always... I bring this to the attention all the time, whether it's um, how people get shot and there's blood that shoots out. And I'm like, well, the heat of the bullet actually sears it. So it takes a segment for the blood to come out. And I said, do we want to be realistic? And they're like, oh, uh, no, just blood. Okay. Uh, but the the knockout thing, I've seen people get knocked out. I've been hit very hard by big, huge dudes. I wasn't knocked out. Um, but the knockouts can happen in the right spot. The problem, it's not the knockout. It's how long they're knocked out. Yeah, right. They're always waking right. up like at a house, hour drive down the road in a cabin. <laughs> yeah. Where am I? I'm like, what? You <laughs> yeah, so you had a small, you had a small coma. coma. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But and it's yeah. a plot device, right? It's a way to take a character out of the action for a bit, and that's totally why they do it. But it's one of those things to me where I'm like, it's such an old trope that I'm, you know, we movies have have evolved, and that's one of the tropes that's still with us. That's kind of funny to me is like, you know, these people get tapped on the head and they're out for two hours. Like, I know. Um. Okay, the other one was, so let's, the fun park was one that I couldn't find. I looked everywhere, couldn't figure out a way to see it. Um, so I don't know much about it. I watched the trailer, but basically, more or less, it seems kind of like a lost movie. It's You can't get it on DVD, it's not on Amazon, it's not on any streamings. So that got me to thinking, like, you know, when you do a project, and for all intents and purposes, it kind of gets lost to, to time or to distribution issues or whatever, like... Do you have a reaction to that where you're like, oh, that's that sucks because I worked hard on that thing and now people can't see it? Or do you just kind of finish the thing and move on? Early in the career, I wanted to see everything. And I was like, it needs to get released. Needs to get... I'm, I'm just, yeah, it just happens with age a little bit. I don't, I don't really care um, now. The fun part, it was cool because I was actually doing a radio tour across the U.S. for a television series, Sons and Daughters, that I was a series regular on. And so... I interviewed with Oklahoma City DJ uh, Rick Walker. Rick and Brad. Yeah, Rick and Brad. So Rick Walker. And uh, after the interview, he said, hang, hang on the line. And he says, I'm directing this movie. You want to come to Oklahoma City? And I was like, hell yes. Let's go, man. Like, that's shooting in my home state. I was super excited about that. And, you know, that was a long time ago. And, and he, he did a good job, the director, for the little budget they had. And it was released, it was out there available, but like you said, it got lost to time. It's just no longer available. Um, to me, it was just a great experience. I don't really care if people can't see that movie because it wasn't you know, anything that I'm like proud of as a performance or anything. But uh, yeah, sometimes I'm happy they're gone. Sometimes uh, I wish they were available. I had a film that I'm very proud of called To Save a Life that just got re-released back on television again, like on Netflix and everything. So that film's had a, a heck of a life on it. And so, I love when I think it's to be available for rental again. Scar. Um, uh, so you play a character named Tom. 
basically the premise of the movie is like, uh, uh, this is, now this is the IMDb, um, description of the plot. Uh, Tom finds terror when deciding to investigate the murder of a friend. I was like, the most generic synopsis possibly imaginable, but that's what they wrote. I've mm -hmm. seen the movie, uh, years ago, but it was another one I had trouble tracking down in time for our interview. But what I remember I of it was, um, it was like pretty damn low budget, right? Like it was ultra low? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like Terratune's probably made for about three thousand uh, dollars scar was probably made for about i think they made it for like fifty thousand yeah right. right but a long time ago right yeah 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 and i mean it was it, it, it was cool too this because so one of my uh dear friends and a beloved horror actor d wallace worked with you in that um mm -hmm. Was that was that was that fun for you at the time? Like you must have been you must, you knew him from ET or whatever. Like were you like oh cool this is a cool actress that I to, that I get to work with on this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very cool experience for me because you know everyone knows who Dee Wallace is. Or they don't they don't watch movies, but um, she was just so great and understanding for young actors who are not experienced, and she still supported us and didn't make us feel like you know, we're less than, she was, it was just great. She felt like family. Um, and it was a great way to, to meet her. And I've worked with her since and it only got better. She was on the, the, the series you were doing around that time too, right? The brothers and sisters or whatever. Wasn't she on that too? Sons. Yeah. Sons and daughters. Sons and daughters grandmother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got your paths have crossed a few times. Cause yeah, then yeah, years awesome. later you were in a short that her daughter directed. I did, yeah, fantastic. Her daughter's awesome too. It's a great family. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, okay, so uh, was Scar like a you know a, a a very different experience than than Terror Tunes? Like, uh, or was it was it still the same kind of thing? Where like, there's no money. You know, I'm assuming if there was pay, it was probably very little. Was it still kind of in that ballpark? I don't know if I was paid, but I really enjoyed that experience. We filmed at Mountain High outside of LA and they put us in cabins and it was that the first time I got to do the camaraderie thing and be like staying overnight with other actors and crew members and like bonding, which is so cool. It's one of the greatest things about making movies outside of the city or the state is that you get to bond really with the crew and cast and no one's going home to their family, friends are all hanging out. They have dinner together. And that was my first experience with it. And I loved it. I had such a great time. <clears throat> that was my favorite thing about acting at that time was like, man, I want to do films that are always outside of the city because I loved that camaraderie. So I had a really good time with that movie. And as, as silly as it turned out, low budget, it was fun to make. And, I, you know, and I could totally relate to that. Like for me as a, as a film director, like there's it's such a different experience when you do a film, you know, in say like a big city and then everybody's going back to their hotel rooms or home or whatever versus when you go out and shoot somewhere in the middle of nowhere and everybody's together and, and you're in it the whole time. And it, mm -hmm. it builds this kind of for a while, you're like this little family unit all up against this thing that is usually money and time and all of that. Like, and there's a rush to that that isn't the same when you all go home at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, I was also curious, like, like when you're doing, you know, these sort of more ultra low budget films, like you're talking about Terror Tunes, was what? How much did you say? Th 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 
three thousand dollars or something. Eight thousand, yeah. That's something really cheap. It's like the stir stick budget of an independent film. Yeah, um, um, and then you're doing, you know, Scar for like fifty thousand. Like, you know, to me, of course, the thing that always changes dramatically between when you have a bigger budget or doing a studio picture or something like that versus you know the ultra low budgets is like the biggest trade off for 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 I think creative people is that the the loss of time usually times the thing the number one thing that you're losing that's valuable and you have to make up for it by getting really inventive with your setups and you know things like that like but there is a you know as you talked about getting a rush from it do you think that that rush from when when you're up against the the clock like that on on small budget projects on indie projects is part of the fun or do you prefer when you've got more money and you've got more time or whatever like do you think that that's that having that bit of I don't want to say comfort, but but that reassurance that okay, like if we want that extra setup, we can do it. Do you think that's preferable? Oh yeah, I, I prefer more time, more money, more more everything. It it makes it more fun and less stressful. Uh, a lot of times, these shoestring budget movies, you know, it's a they're passion projects, and someone had to convince their uncle, or aunt, or their cousin, or their brother, or their friend to give them. 4,000 here, 5,000, 10,000. So they're making, they're saying, I can make a movie. And so I'm all about that passion because I'm like, let me do my best to act in this thing. And so we're working very hard to make a lot out of something little and with the promise of maybe a bigger future because of it. Um, but it's very stressful if there's a lot of dialogue. Like a lot of these are written with a ton of dialogue and they're very, and you get one or two takes and everyone's like, oh, the acting sucks. I'm like, yeah, because, you know, it's, diff it's different than being on stage where you rehearse a hundred times together over and over again and then you get to go perform together on stage it's you don't get any rehearsals and you go right to set and like boom here you go shoot and if something makes a noise or whatever and you're distracted too bad you know that's, yeah. that's all you get and you gotta move on and you don't get that much coverage sometimes or the sounds bad but on a bigger budget movie oh my god you get to do four or five takes and you get you know it's no rush and they can sometimes afford to come back to it and reshoot it, it's nice. You, know, it, you just there's a lot less stress on a bigger budget movie for the actors. But do you think there's sometimes that trade off of you know the the classic thing that you hear directors and people bemoan of 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 that freedom that you you know when you're making a little independent movie, there's nobody that says to you you can't do that. So if you if you're able to execute it, you can do it. But on a movie where you have a you know studio executives are involved and all that, like you don't necessarily have that freedom. Do you think that trade off is worth it? Oh, God, yeah, you see it in television. Television, they tie your hands behind your back as an actor, unless you're the star. I mean, I've got on there and I've had really kind of some bad experiences with television execs because I'm I'm an independent film actor, and sometimes it takes me a minute to get into the groove, and then I'm in like I'm like a chef. I'm giving you a different option every which way. But on television, they want something very very precise. If you're not the lead pushing the show along, you're this just there to move that storyline along. So you just come in and say lines and get out of the way. And that is all television. Like, here's our formula. Don't mess it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Uh, independent movies. Yeah, you're right. You get to play. You get to play. Okay, Grizzly Park. So this is, this is, Grizzly Park is special to me because it was the first thing I remember seeing where I noticed you, like, and was like, this guy's great. Like, and actually Grizzly Park it's, in itself is kind of a, a, an underrated little gem of a horror film. And I know other horror yeah. guys like myself that think that too. Grizzly Park does have something about it that, that I think, um, you know, I know a couple guys who are sort of horror geeks like me who are like, Grizzly Park's pretty cool, actually. Um, 
you know, and they did the basic premise, eight young adults doing community service at this, you know, national park. And then there's a serial killer and there's animals hunting them. And it's all, it's kind of crazy. Um, but I remember the first time I saw it, you know, I, and you're playing this kind of neo-Nazi scab. That was your name. I remember that. And it was funny because so much of the other stuff, I that, now that I look back at that you had already even done it to that point and subsequently after that, you know, you were you generally pretty straight edge in most of the roles that you had before that and after that. You know, the good looking blonde guy can play the, 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 the boyfriend, the, the, uh, the jock, that, but in this one, you're like, here you are, this like, you're scab. It's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think like when you were when you got the the script for Grizzly Park and you knew that you booked it, it were you excited about the chance to do something really different like that? Yeah, uh so Belle Avery directed it and she called me and said, uh, she said, we want you for Scab and I was like, Oh awesome. I, I love the role and she called me back five minutes later, I'm just kidding, we want you for Trickster. And I said, Oh, who's playing Scab? And she goes, Oh, the other actor and I said, I, I, I just want to talk to you about this. I, I want to play Scab. And she said, I'll call you back. And she called back again and said, you got Scab. <laughs> so I was very excited to play it. And I just, I love the character. And I just booked another movie at the same exact time called Dream Boy. So I'm set to film Grizzly Park in Tennessee and Dream Boy in Louisiana. And they overlap. And I told my agent, I said, I don't want to lose either, either one of these movies make it work. And he said, ah, well, you've got to choose one. And I said, no, we've got to make it work. So we called Grizzly Park, and they rewrote the story for Scab, and they killed him earlier. He wasn't supposed to die. And so that's the way that to make it work uh, is to have him die early. Mm-hmm. That's been really kind of like, you know, that's flattering, right? When it, when a production's like, we'll move this around to make it work. Like, that's that doesn't yeah. happen in a ton. Like. No, and then to give me the role that I wanted, and, and I, I loved it. I mean, I got to work with uh, Zulai now and Shadrach is like side by side a lot, Shadrach Anderson. And you just see, if you look at all these scenes, it's like Scab the neo-Nazi with Latina actress who has a crush on and then like next to <laughs> uh, Shadrach who's a black man. And so it's, it's just funny because he, he wasn't really, he was just, I think the character and his was just caught up in, his environment and he was just on his own and he probably loved everybody it was one of those things that i noticed in in the film you know and i've watched that movie a couple times uh, because because I, I i'm a fan of it it's, it's 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 a character that like i'm like this is there's more to this character that maybe was even necessary or required of you as an actor to give it but you brought that anyway yeah i, I didn't want him to be an asshole I, I told her i said i just want him to be a good guy i want people to feel for him um let the tattoos speak for themselves and let the character kind of show his heart a little bit. And she said, go for it. It was fun too, to watch uh, Glenn Morshower, who's, who's kind of a bit of a scene stealer and a uh, great character yeah, actor. Is. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's fun because for Glenn, you know, Morshower, he's, he's surrounded by sort of these actors that are 20 somethings. You know, I, w- I was thinking like, did he sort of take on sort of an elder statesman role for all of you guys around him? Because you must've all been aware of, of his resume and you know, how much he's worked. Like, did he, was he, you know, supportive, encouraging, or did he just kind of come in and do his job and go home? Like, what was sort of Glenn's approach to the to the part in the project? Glenn was uh, a pleasure to have on set and to work with. He was really good with everybody. He wasn't, again, he wasn't rude with anyone. He treated everyone very um, respectfully. Uh, he did tell a lot of stories, which that's what you want to hear from an older actor who's been around for a bit, right? You want to hear his stories. 
uh, and that's that was cool. And you know, Rance Howard was there, and he was it was cool to work with Rance Howard. The great Rance uh, Howard, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Glenn, so Glenn many horror movies. Of course, he has. He's been everything. Yeah, and, uh, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. But, but Glenn ultimately, it was cool to see an actor at his level do this movie. It makes the, the movie feel more legit. It absolutely does. Yeah, he he brings it kind of a he brings the game up a bit because we've seen him in a lot of you know big Hollywood movies and stuff and and he's great you know what I mean he's uh, he's one of those he's a very comfortable actor he he just he seems very natural he uh, yeah and he it, that's part and you know the other thing in the movie too is like the fucking bear I was like you guys got a, you got your dad you got a bear in the movie that kills people so cool yeah. yeah Brody the bear did you get yeah. to did you get to do scenes with the bear no no, they they kept us pretty far away. We we got to see it happening, but from far from afar. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I did want to see if I can get up there. They're like, no, nah, just the insurance wouldn't cover it. <laughs> All the scenes where someone's hitting the bear is the trainer with our clothes on. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you were you were so? You, but you got to see some of the stuff with the bear while it was happening. Oh yeah, yeah. About like a hundred cool. yards away. You're like zooming in on your phone, yeah. Um, you talked about Dream Boy, and it's not a horror film, so we, you know, we're not going to get into it too much because this is a horror podcast. But, but I did want to talk about it because um, your character in it, uh, Burke, um, he's kind of you know a villain character in the film. Uh, I don't, I don't want to call him a villain because it's not that kind of movie, right? I mean, it's it's a, I, it's just, it's a really lovely film. It's uh, it's quiet and haunting, and I think it's a really um, great piece um and i also thought you know like your part in it um it's tough like it's a tough character you know so when you got that were you were you was that in it again like you talked about how you really were like no i have to do both but was there any part of you like you know you have a scene in that where you're like you're you know where you're raping one of the main the main, main characters you know what i mean it's like it's a tense it's not so i can't think it was a movie that was like particularly fun to shoot but the, the challenge part must have been appealing for you, right? Uh, two things about the movie. One, I was supposed to play the lead role. So oh, really? I had auditioned, and they were like, he's the guy. And so then we did the mix and match with all the actors, right? So I'm there reading as the lead character. I forget the name. And so every Nathan? actor's coming in reading with me. Yeah, Nate. No, no, the older one. Matt, okay. Um, the one that Max played. Yeah. Um, and so they all kept coming in, and they were like mix and matching. And I was sitting there between auditions talking to the cast director and director and i said look i jimmy i I love the script i just want to be clear about something i don't want to do this movie if it's two guys shirtless on the cover of the dvd i don't want to be i don't want to be that person this movie is a great movie you don't have to cheapen the movie and do that and i felt maybe i was too being too free with the guy but um i said it and i kind of meant it because i didn't want him to like you you would get more eyeballs in that movie if you don't do that i think um so then at the end, he goes, hey, Randy, would you, you and um, Max, you, get, you guys switch roles and you read Burke. And I said, okay. And so I did. And they cast me as Burke, uh, the homophobic redneck. Um, I, I don't know if it's because of that conversation I gave him. But uh, anyways, I love the script. And I said, I'm, I'm absolutely down to do it. Um, they cut a lot of Burke out of that movie. So there's a lot more oh, really? to it. but. Yeah, and it wasn't because of performance. It was because they just had to focus on the two main lead characters. And so they cut a lot of it out. Because I had a lot of people ask me, like, whoa, why did he do this? And was he in love with the kid? And 
you know, the answer is yes. He was in love with the, the kid and he just did not handle his feelings and he was scared of it. Uh, I, it was tough to play it. I really enjoyed playing that character and I loved that script and I loved the actors in it and, um, the director was fantastic and it was, um, I was happy to be a part of it. Do you think, and it's interesting too, right? Because it's like, it's the kind of thing now that's become over the last few years, like, uh, there's a real discussion about the idea of, of, you know, heterosexual actors playing gay parts and, you know, sort of representation and stuff. Like, do you think now you would still get the opportunity to play that part? Well, I just got nominated for an Emmy playing a gay character on uh, The Bay, so I think so. Yeah. Because I, I, think, it's, I think it's strange when they say a gay, a gay person should play a gay role. I'm like... So is there a, how do you prove that you're gay? Because I'll just say that I'm gay. Like, you know, it's a weird thing where someone will be like, I'm straight, so I want to play a straight role. And now it's getting like, really dicing this up here. Um, but yeah, it would be strange if they said, Randy's not gay, then I would say, yeah, I am actually. So I want the role <laughs> back. It's, it's just really, you know, like, how can they tell? Yeah, it's something that gets talked a lot about a lot, I find, in casting circles. And people ask me about it because I'm a gay person. And they're like, how do you feel about that? I was like, I don't, I don't, you know, I think it's. I heard Sean Penn say that he doesn't think he would get to play Harvey Milk anymore. Like he, and I'm like, well, that's different. Yes, he would. And I I'm think like, he would. He, quite possibly. And I'm like, it's also such a different. That's a di when you're talking about like a, a character who's who's you know for a, an entire community of people a, a heroic figure. You know, there's a sensitivity around that that some people might have that it enters into a different conversation. But for me, like mm -hmm. when people are like, well, don't you think that you, you know, gay gay people should get the chance to play gay roles. I'm like, of course they should. I think they should get the sure. chance to play any roles that anybody should play. But I also don't think, sure. I, as you said, when I'm only like, having a, a casting call and people come in and read for me, I'm not sitting there going, gay or straight. Like, you can't ask people that shit. <laughs> like, can you imagine like playing a straight character? Are you, oh, you're gay? You can't play him. Sorry. And where, does the, where do you draw the line around that? You know what I mean? Because it's acting. Exactly. When you have a white person playing an Asian person or, you know, there's... I understand those situations, but like sexuality is, is quite different, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, and I, you're right. And when it's when it's, when it's a, a, a visible thing, that's right. a different conversation. I mean, for sure. Um, okay, so uh, so next you, you did the haunting of Molly Hartley. So you know, bigger budget, getting a little bit more like into the you know, on IMDb it says you had five million bucks to shoot that movie. Usually that's not true when it says on IMDb for a budget, but it looks about right. From what I, from yeah. what I've seen of the film, um, tell me a bit about like how you ended up in that project and about the, the, the character and sort of you know was it was it were you pumped to get to do something with a little more in terms of resources and money and time? Oh, I was very pumped to work with uh, actors at my age grouping that were more successful than I was um, instead of just like an older actor that's successful and then a bunch of younger new actors. Um, they had shot that full movie already at that point and they were casting to shoot a teaser in the opening because they they needed something in the beginning. So um, the producer director said, let's just write another scene for the beginning. And I went and auditioned for a big casting director, which I was super stoked to get the role that he cast me in. Um, I didn't come in there, I think the right way. I came in a little goth looking. <laughs> I just, I think I read the scene wrong, uh, but the director is from Oklahoma. And so we had a conversation about both being from Oklahoma and that did it, I think. 
ultimately, I don't think he really cared. He was probably like thought 15 of us or 20 of us were good enough, but he liked that I was from Oklahoma as well, and they cast me. And even in the scene when uh, the dad's driving off, they, they put an Oklahoma license plate on the, on the Bronco just as like a little thing for us. Um, uh, that was Mickey, um, the director. Yeah, it was cool. I loved it. It was it was a bigger movie. It was I knew it was going to be cool with Chase Crawford and Alan McCord and Jessica Lowndes and Haley Bennett. So the cast was awesome and the script was great and ultimately the movie was fun. Yeah, there's a there's an actor in it named Josh Stewart, um, who mm-hmm. who's developed yeah. over time some serious genre credit. He's great. He's in the Collector and all this stuff. And um, uh-huh. I think that was the first thing I remember seeing him in. I don't think you had scenes with him though, right? I did not know. All I had was Jessica Lowndes. No. That was it. And then uh, Jamie right. that played her father. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fun to to see, too. It's like when you go back, and part, this part of the fun of, of doing this show is like, you know, you're, you're going back and looking at people's work, and you see people and things, you're like, oh, shit, now they're, you know what I mean? <laughs> like People who've all kind of come up together at the same times, and, you know, to, to see the different trajectories people's... I mean, you know, even for you as an actor, like, when you go back and look at you know, I'm sure this has happened to you on multiple occasions, but you work with someone, you know, early in your career and then 15 years later it comes back around and you're doing something together again. And, and that thing of like being able to kind of look at each other and be like, holy shit, you know, look at, look at this trajectory. Is that yeah. like, do you enjoy that reminiscence when you work with someone again, you know, that you worked with a long time ago? Oh my God, I feel like it happens all the time and, and I'm super thankful for my extensive resume. It may not be the most impressive resume, but I've done a lot and worked with a lot of people. Uh, I just had a call before this podcast with the, the producer, and I might be going to Bangkok to do two uh, action films out there. And they, you know, they mentioned, oh, Louis Mandalore. I said, I worked with Louis. And they go, um, Casper Van Dien. I said, I worked with Casper. They said, Rampage Jackson. I worked with Rampage Jackson. Ryan French. Now, and as they say, I've worked with seven of the eight actors, they said, and I loved that. I felt so cool. Like, I've been around the block, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't take away from the excitement I, I will have if I end up going out there to to do these movies because um, yeah you know I've taken I take breaks for producing and then I come back to acting and uh, it's fun when I get to do something like go to Bangkok to shoot some action movies. So 2011, True Blood. Um, you played Matt, which I remember you referred to when you know I talked about it as the Fang Banger. Um, <laughs> is that said in is that said in the show or was that just your did you coin that? No, that's what they're known as. I guess. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I, didn't want I mean, to be I remember Fangbanger in the credits, and I said, "Is there a name?" And I said, "Yeah, there's a name, Matt." So, okay, cool. Because I don't want to be Fangbanger. <laughs> Why not? That's so much cooler than Matt. Yeah, I know. I just because it sounds does it did cool. it does it sound like waiter does it sound like waiter number three or something? Is that what? I was afraid it looked like background, and that's a big show, so I wanted to have a name on it. Um, and I was like, I was shocked that I booked that. Uh, I just had a ton of confidence and charm in the room, and that's why I booked it, not because of the audition, I don't think. But that was cool. I was shooting The Secret Life of the American Teenager at the same time as, as True Blood. And talk about having your hands tied. There's no show more uh, by the book. Uh, every single thing you do has to be exactly how they expect it to be done on The Secret Life. So I would shoot an episode of that and just never want to be an actor again and go to true blood and be like, <laughs> wow, this is what, why we do what we do. It's just such a contrast. Wasn't and that a the secret like life? Was that Disney? Woodley, ABC, ABC family. But okay. you know, you see Shailene Woodley on that show who went from like, if you watched it, you'd be like, okay. Like 
She's just an actress doing a job. And then she goes on a year to remove from the show and gets nominated for a freaking Academy Award. It, it doesn't let actors spread their wings, you know, it kind of holds you down. But yeah, True Blood was great. The directors were fun. Everyone was awesome. Anson Williams got to direct me and it was fantastic. I remember it was, it was you know, it, it must be an interesting thing too when you're doing something like True Blood because, you know, with something like that, you're going on to this show that has this really kind of, you know, pretty rabid fan base. So True Blood had, you know, pretty pretty big hardcore fans. Uh, so yes. it must take some of that worry away of kind of like, oh, am I doing something that's going to take? Like, are people going to like this thing? Because you already know that they do. Um, it did, you know and that's it, actually probably the, the biggest fan response I've ever had, ever, for those two episodes of, of True Blood. That's funny. Does it, does that ever make you kind of, is, is that kind of annoying too? You're like, man, I did these movies where I've slugged it out for, you know, 30 days and it was a, just it was so much work and then I do a couple episodes of Chuba and that's the thing everybody knows me from when they see me. No, no, uh-uh. No? It's just nature, <laughs> that's the nature of the beast. I don't, I don't like worry about that stuff, uh, but I find it fascinating. The, to save a life is my biggest fan base That's and still around. I still get recognized from it regularly, um, but I just never seen something explode like True Blood. I just had a you know a few lines here and a few lines there, and I was on television weekly on other shows, and I did not get that response. Yeah, I mean it's you know you're it's HBO, it's True Blood, like you know that was, show was such a phenomena. It was yeah. you know that must yeah that's show. and then so uh, 2014 Paranormal Island, which you shot in Illinois, um, mm-hmm. where you got to work again with another great actor, genre legend. Genre royalty, I would say, Lance yeah. Henriksen. Yeah, man. Tell me about that working with cool. Lance. Lance, uh, part of my slang, but he was the homie. <laughs> I mean, he was just cool as can be. He just didn't give a shit. He was awesome. Great stories. He never came off as like I'm the experienced actor. He just came off as like a guy you meet at the bar. And we'd go smoke cigarettes together. We'd just like have drinks, and it just was cool. I just wish he, I could work with him all the time. You know, he's he's fantastic. He, he's that guy at the bar that doesn't give a shit that uh, you can just talk to about anything. That's him. Yeah, I remember when he was up. Uh, we we got to know each other because he was going to do a, a feature that I was directing, and uh, and we we met for lunch. And I was pretty nervous because I was like, I Lance was like my favorite actor as a kid from Aliens and all the, you know, he's been in, the guy's 300 and something credits, right? So I'm like really excited. We're meeting up for lunch and I'm going to meet this hero actor of mine. And, and I sit down with him and, and he's looking at me and he's got this kind of funny, very, Lance has this particular smile he does where you know he, it's kind of mischievous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally was just like, and I'm trying to like pitch him this project and, and he's got this grin on his face and I'm like, do I have like a booger in my nose? Like what the fuck is going on here? Like why is he looking at me like this? So finally I go, sorry, what is it like? Why? Why do you? Have, what you have to? You're looking at me. He goes, man, it's crazy. You look so much like David Arquette, and I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> and that that was my window into kind of Lance. How Lance kind of he's such a funny, you know. He's played so many heavy because he he you know you hear that voice, the, those great lines in his face. You think of this guy's going to be this heavy, and that's so not who he is. You know, he's he's funny and he's you know he's he's very. Uh, he was very giving too on on that project. He took a lot of time with me. The project fell apart, and we stayed friendly for years after that. And I, you know, it's like you said, he's one of those people. I was, I, I would love to put him in everything I ever do. He's, he's so, you know, 
I think he just brings something to everything he does. Yeah. And I mean, his, and his crazy underrated. Crazy. Yeah. I don't know how bigger filmmakers don't hire him in the master studio films. Like, what are they thinking not hiring him? Yeah, Jim Cameron knew to do it. You know, people like that. It's He's one of those interesting actors, though. So we're talking about, like, some of these great character actors and stuff that you've worked with. And it made me think, like, you know, one of the things that I always think about is when I've worked with some of those people. Like, you know, I've worked with, with Dee Wallace, and I've, you know, i worked with William Sadler on something. And, you know, is like, part of the fun when sometimes when you work with these guys is, like, you learn things from them. You know, they've learned kind of all kinds of cool little tricks. And for me as a director, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's cool. I never, that's, yeah, that's a good idea or whatever. Like, do you find for you as an actor sometimes you've you've gleaned little little tricks and stuff from working with some of these guys who have done, you know, 200 movies or been around for 50 years? or? <laughs> yeah, I did a movie with Richard Reilly. You know Richard Reilly? Of course. Yeah, of and, course, uh, yeah. We, he played my father, and the movie never came out. It was called Lights Out. And, and we had this scene where I played this, this cowboy good old cowboy hat and you know everything and he plays my dad and he's just uh you know it was kind of a cheesy scene a little bit but he had to cry in the scene and i i noticed he kept doing this and then i, I that and i was like are you i said are you and he said listerine strip you put that on your tongue and uh you take that mint mentholate the menthol and you put it right there on the bottom of your eyelid and you don't need someone to come up and put some stuff in your face and no one knows you're doing it. And he's like, I'm old. I got dry eyes. I need this. <laughs> Let me have it. And I said, that's a, that's a great trick. I've never heard about that before. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've heard some great things like if you get nervous, how to get past that. There's a bunch of that is great. things that have stuck with me over the years that I, I've just adapted into my own. I probably will give them as advice to someone else. And they'll probably think it came from that I made it up and I probably stole it from, you know, Glenmore Shower. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so then we go 2016 Threshold. Um, uh, kind of a horror drama, I, th I would say. Horror, Do you think that's yeah. fair? Because it's yeah, like, it, I would it, say the, the like thrust of that movie is to scare people. I don't know how to describe a suspense thriller. I don't know. But it won Best Horror Film at some festivals, so I guess you can call it that. It definitely has... It does, you know, it is a horror film, but it's like... I was watching, I was like, but this is also like a character piece, the, the story of this couple, and, you know, like, uh, it's just, it, it was fascinating to me to kind of see how many genres it sort of straddled, I thought, successfully. Um, um, you know, and it was, it was Trilby Glover, who plays your wife in it, um, She's one of those actors I knew when I lived in L.A. because she came out and read for me at different things. Mm -hmm. And I, we had f mutual friends. It's You know, L.A. is very funny that way. So, But it was funny because I threw the movie on to watch it. And I was like, oh, it's Trilby. Um, she's, you guys were great in it. And I was watching that thing of watching you guys working off each other and thinking like, you know, that's that thing of where they talk mm -hmm. about how you just really can't manufacture a chemistry between two actors. They, they have that and they, they can slide into that or they, or they can't. Um, was was that was that something that happened quickly with with Trilby on that film? Did you guys slide into a comfort there fast, or? I, I think so. Um, you know, Jason Perlman, the director, he rented a house. He he looked for a house to rent to write a script around, and he did it. And then he lived in the house that he was writing the script for. So he knew this script 
he knew exactly what he wanted. He it was a master. He composed the movie. He edited the movie. He directed it. He did a really great job for the tiny budget they had. And uh, you know, truth be told, I was going through a breakup with my eleven year. Um, I had a girl for eleven years, and we we're breaking up. And this was perfect timing. It was very similar to where my ex was very hippy dippy and I started drinking and so it was very real to me that story and I could just relate and it was it was uh it came at the right time it was like a good therapy for me and uh Trilby was just a natural she's yeah a she actress. is she's awesome she's very and and she's very um comfortable I remember like we did it she did a table read for her one time and uh, we didn't know each other that well and I very quickly felt a trust with her with the material and you know, she was, she's, she's, she, but she was very giving too, even though like it was just a table read, you know, some people show up at a table read, table reads are a funny beast. Like some people come to a table read and they just kind of push through it. But I've always loved table reads as a writer because I'm like, this is the first chance I get to hear the words performed. Yeah. If the actors mm -hmm. will give it, if they'll do that. Um, yeah. so I love when an actor shows up at a table read and goes, all right, I'm going to, this is a chance to perform. Um, do you like doing table reads? How do you feel about table reads? I've never given a good table read in my life. <laughs> I don't like them. Um, I, I, I also like didn't know how important they were for a long time. Uh, even though I was cut out of a TV show from it, even though I was like, you know, I've heard questioning about like, oh, is this the guy? We should have other movies that said maybe we should replace this guy. And I'm like, what are they fucking talking about? Like, I'm not even on set. Even on set in rehearsals, I don't give it. I, I just kind of go like, I'm just trying to get it figured out in my mind where I'm going, what I'm doing, my motivation. And then when you say action, I'll give it to you. <laughs> but for me, I don't like to. I don't like to give it away. But I've learned that they need to be treated like more more serious. They're not just there for an exercise. So, yeah, I've made the mistake of of ruining those for a lot of people in the past. I remember you did a table read for me for a movie called Soar. Mm -hmm. I remember this well, and it was our first time, like, uh, like you know, being in a room together that wasn't sort of a social thing. We had met up and, and gotten to know each other in a friend capacity, and you stayed with me for a bit in Toronto. I remember you were shooting a movie out there, and we partied and stuff like that. But so we're doing this table read, and I remember we finished it, and it was a great, you know, D. Wallace was at that read, Tony Todd, like it was a fun read. We had a Greg, like Brando Eaton. There's a lot of good people that were at that read. And I remember we finished it afterwards. And you came up to you and you're like, man, I fucking sucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> you were so like, you were like, that was the worst. You were so distraught. Yeah, because about... everyone brought it. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even read. I didn't like, read this. I wasn't ready for this. I thought I was like a, just as I was getting together, I didn't realize you were bringing the fucking movie stars out, bro. I didn't realize it was going to be the real deal. And I, I was... Is that what it was? I never understood why you felt that way. <laughs> I never knew that that was what it... Because it didn't... That's not how I felt. But I remember you were, like, emphatic about it. Like, uh, two days later, I got another text for you. Be like, I'm so sorry. I was like, dude, it's fine. It wasn't... Like, you know, you had a cold, I remember, at the time. So I remember, I'm, like, your energy was, like, a little lower. But I remember just, for me, thinking, like, yeah, he's yeah. sick. Like, it's... it's You know, and you pushed through it. And I was just thankful. But, like, you were like, fuck. <laughs> that didn't... Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> um... I'm hard on myself. Yeah, you are. You totally are. At least in that instance, you were. So, okay, after Threshold, then you did... Um... Oh, I have a question about Threshold, about the plot. The thing with the dog confused me. At the end, when you guys go to the house and you see the dog inside the 
the ha the lady's house, the crazy lady's house, and you go, oh, that was the dog that I found and brought to the house. What what's the whole bit with the dog? I was totally that totally. I didn't. I was like, I must have like blanked at the wrong place or looked at my phone at the wrong time or something. Yeah, it, when um when I had my character had admitted that he had cheated on on his wife. Mm -hmm. He said I was out for a run and or a driving. Uh, I saw this dog, so I picked the dog up and I took it to the address on the on the on the leash and. I started talking to the lady, and I came inside. She offered me a drink, and next thing I knew, you know, we had sex. And so, this is the the dog of the woman who I had sex with. I guess I don't know. It was confused. It's been a while too for me, but that was why that was important. But I can't because it was like that thing where, like, I t yeah, when I was watching, I like turned to my husband who was watching with you. And I was like, wait, that's not the because the lady who owns the dog, who's the crazy lady, is not the lady he had sex with because he would have known that. Right. So I, I got totally, my wires got crossed on that. I was like, I'll just ask Randy when I interview him. <laughs> What's going That's on? That's a great here? question. And I, I have, I'm, I'm trying to think back. Um, I'm going to get you an answer just for peace of mind later. I'm going to text the right. director. Yeah, let me know. Yeah, he'll probably know what that's about. Yeah. Um, next uh, thing you do was escape room, um, which was a bit sort of Saw-esque, I thought, like a bit sort of, you know, there's, you're in this, Escape Rooms too, it's funny, because the movie came out in 2017, and that's about the time Escape Rooms were like all of a sudden this phenomenon, right? So it's a bit of a high concept movie that way, and then Skeet Ulrich is there, who you didn't have any scenes with though, right? I did, a couple small scenes, yeah. Did you? was telling us about the Escape Room, and here's how it's going to go, and yeah. Because Skeet's sort of someone who's become, because of Scream and, you know, a few other things, he's sort of, you know, a guy that I think of, in my mind, is like a younger actor who sort of came to her. But now I look at him, I'm like, fuck, he's, he's, he's you know, in his late 40s now. Yeah. None of us are, you know what I mean? And it's like, he sort of seems like sort of, you know, a veteran horror actor now when I watched him in Escape Room. I thought that was kind of a fun thing to sort of think to myself. Yeah. It's like, wow, like, you know, you, you, you and I are about the same age, you know, watching him in Scream, and now here you're working off him, but he's playing you know, a grizzled character. Yeah, it's, it's um, crazy. I mean, he's a good actor, that's for sure. He was a good man, I thought. Yeah. did you When you were doing that film, like, had you done escape rooms and stuff? Did you guys do any together as a cast or anything to prepare for that project? Or No. You know, a lot of these movies come together so last second. And, um, I'd say things and people want you in their film. Uh, in the beginning, I auditioned for everything, and then I kind of started saying, offer only. And people hate hearing that, but then... They see all the auditions and they're like, uh, okay, fine. Give it to Randy Wayne. Um, and that one was an offer, last second situation, show up to set, meet everyone right there, and then start shooting. So I had done one escape room before that. I think it helped a lot because otherwise I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know what to do in that room. And so, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was shot on like a little, in a warehouse in, in Burbank and they built the stage in there and. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it was a surprise to the audience that my character dies because he was leading as the yeah, lead. Yeah, and then they killed him right away, and I thought that was cool. Yeah, totally. It was a good. It was it was well done too because it was very like, oh, okay, that's happening. All right, like, yeah, yeah. So that's fun though, right? I mean, that's that like the Final Destination movies did that well. Where when you're when you're watching a movie and you're like, I really don't know. They do something where after that you're like, now I don't know who's safe because they did that. You know what I mean? That's yep. that's. I always think that's good genre filmmaking. Um, so next you did 2017 Death Pool. Death Pool's a fun one 
for us to talk about, I think, because like this was you getting to play the psycho, right? The crazy, like your character in that is really maladjusted, let's say. Like he's not a well person. Um, like I, I, I loved the, the, the synopsis for the movie on IMDb is great. It's written like this. Johnny Taylor has a big problem. He loves to drown good looking girls. That's all you need, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good... I'm in. That's... What a, pre, what a premise. You know? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's interesting to look back, though, at your career up to that point. Like, you didn't... You hadn't gotten to play a lot of villains or heavies, you know? I mean, most of your career, you were playing, you know, not bad guys. Nice guy. Occasional, you yeah, know, nice jerk. Yeah, or, or cocky guy. Yeah, like the occasional jerk. But this is, you know, here you're the Norman Bates character. You're the guy who's propelling mm-hmm. the whole thing. Um mm-hmm. Was that part of the appeal for you to doing it? Oh, man, yeah. So Jared Cohn, the director, called me and he was like, uh, I'm doing this movie. I don't know if you want to do it. We're shooting it non-union. Like, it's going to be $10,000, eight days of shooting. And I'm like, what's the story? Because there's no way I'm doing this. And he told me it's about a serial killer. And I said, I, I love serial killer stories. Um, send me the script. I read it. And it's, it's called The Valley Drowner was the name of it. And, you know, the distributor changed the name to Deadpool because of Deadpool at the time. Uh, but I loved it. And I said, I, I'm in. Let's make me a producer on it and let's let's go. And so then we did that. And, you know, Jared Cohn has directed a lot of movies since then. Uh, big action movies with Bruce Willis and Nick Cage and, you know, you name it, Cuba Gooding Jr. or whatever. And it's still to this day his favorite movie he's directed. Because we shot that with no money and so in like a week. And it turned out pretty good. And, I, and I'm sorry, just back to the character. Um, I I wish I had more time because it was so much fun to do. It, it's a great character, and I thought you did a great job. I mean, it was like a really, it's a tough role. It's a tough character. It would have been really easy to veer into camp with a character like that, like to just make him some twitching psychopath, and you never kind of, you never veered into that territory, you know? And it's like, you know, it's, 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 and it's also like a, a, a bizarre phenomena. Like I, I was even, you know, when there's scenes of you like trying to drag, drown a woman with a faucet, I'm like, I've never seen, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I've never seen this before. You know what I mean? And there's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's this, and I was like, is this like, did the writer, the writer director, the same person in this, in that film? Yeah. Did, yeah. Okay. So like, was this, do you know if it was, like, was that a phenomena that he, was that based on anything in real life? Was there a real serial killer that did something like this or anything of that nature? Like, was there, did you guys do any kind of research for this? Yeah, I had done some research and he said that there's just never been a, a drowning serial killer movie that we're aware of. So he wanted to write one. And then together we worked on it and we were going to have a death and it was like, oh, I got to, I got to find something to, to drown the person in. So I like looking around, oh, some gasoline, let me pour this in this thing here and put his, put his head in there or the toilet. And it just became, you know, we worked well together. He gave me the freedom to, to do what I wanted to. Um, and I, I just... I mean, I have probably 15 serial killer books in my house. I love uh, the way they think in a way of like, I, I'll never think that way. So it's fun to just try to understand them. But I started to think that way. Uh, I would kind of be in character lead a lot leading up to it. And I'd find myself uh, in public just staring. Yeah. And I can't imagine how creepy it was. Can't imagine why. <laughs> You're looking at people thinking, I, I, want, to, I want to drown you. And, uh, yeah, they're probably like, why is that dude looking at me like that? Yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah. The guy from True Blood yeah. is freaking me out right now. Um, um, like, um, and it was, you know, it was weird too because I was watching the movie and I'm like, there's, there's like, there's, there's lots of scenes of, you know, pretty girls in bathing suits and like, you're, you were in great shape in it. You have, to, but the movie never feels like sort of like some kind of sort of skin flick kind of like look at all these pretty people walk around in bathing suits it doesn't really succumb to that i'm sure that sex appeal aspect you know was for like a distributor or something was appealing but like you know i it was cool to see the movie not kind of fall into that trap of just like you know oh this is a great excuse to show pretty people you know in in bathing suits um you know That's like yeah. I'm glad you appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, it's fun when you see a movie like that 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 has that, but it actually is makes sense. It's part of the the fabric of the story, and it isn't just for people to be like, oh, hey, like I'm fine with that. You know, if people want to put some little titillation in their movies, like it's perfectly fine. Movies can be sexy, but but it's nice to see it in a movie where it actually makes sense and it's contextual. Um, I remember like there was a sequence where you came in, you had this kind of like American flag, like a uh, sort of Daniel Craig bathing suit. And I was just like, what a choice for the bathing suit. Do you remember that? It's like, it's like, it's it's like the American flag and it's quite a, like a form fitting bathing suit. Uh, yeah, I own that. So it's, it was mine. I, I think all the clothes were just my clothes from that. It was because it, it, it's like, it's such a, it sticks out. It's something in my head that I remember being like, wow, that's like, it's, it's a piece of wardrobe that like... You know, a certain character would make that choice, and apparently you in real life. Um, and you're wearing it while you're staring at women in real life, thinking about how you want to drown them. Um, I was, and that's something I was going to ask you. Like when you're playing a dark character like that, like pitch black dark character, can it be hard sometimes to shed that going home at night? Like, do you sometimes go home and like, fuck, I need to, you know, shake this. This is like I can't. I remember Lance Henriksen talking about when he did. The show Millennium, where he played this really, really dark character, that he was like, sometimes like I'd get home, you know, and I'd have to be like, wow, like I'm, I'm gonna drive myself nuts if I can't leave this at the end of the day. Like I can't live in this space for this long. Now that was an ongoing series, so I guess maybe that was part of that. But have you been in that spot before with a character where you're like, man, I gotta be able to leave this behind for my own mental health? Acting, but our body doesn't know that we're acting. So if you are scared, you're your body's scared if you're mad if i think my wife is cheating on me and i'm every single day in this movie and i come home to my wife it's just hard to let go it's like when you wake up from a dream and you're mad at someone and you're still mad at them that's the best way i can have you relate to it is that you, you hold on to it and you're like i know you didn't do this but i'm i'm pissed off at you because in my dream you cheated on me and that's just how you feel sometimes leaving the set is and i i've told you know my girlfriends in the past like hey just heads up i have a wife and it's not you so just give me a little bit of space and give me some patience that's a great comparison though like the, the dream analogy you just gave because i think yeah i've i'm i've totally been there where you like wake up and you look at your partner and you're like fuck you you were such a dick to me in that dream <laughs> like <laughs> you know what i mean um so okay so 2018 is kind of a big year for you right so i want to i want to go back to randy's instagram again like I don't know if you said this or not. You're going to have to start on your Instagram quotes. When you put things in quotes, you're going to have to start crediting yourself so we know whether you said this shit or not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you said, no one works, no one can drive or park. Everybody is attractive but eats weird food and will drop you if someone cooler walks in the room. It's like a miserable paradise. 
I stole that quote for sure. You stole that I quote. I think so. Yeah. Because that I can also see you saying that. Yeah. Like you and I, I remember always... you and I when you and I met in Toronto. You bemoaned. You hadn't left LA, I think, at that point, but you were very much at that place where you're like done. Like I've had enough of that scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's it's tiresome after a while. Was there like? Do you remember there being a point when you were in LA where you're like, uh, I gotta get out of here? Like, was there a last straw? Was there a, you know, a thing where you're just like, it's time to time to wrap this up and, and do something else, do something different? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I remember. So I had a, a long term relationship, and I was very good. I didn't, you know, smoke or do drugs or nothing like that. And I only would have drinks on the weekend, like a normal person would do. Um, and then when we separated. I, I I remember waking up one day, had a huge argument with a friend. Uh, had fought another friend two days before that, and I like was physically? in LA, like physically, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I had beat up a friend. Got up when I woke up, and I was like, "You, dude, you are thirty-six years old. This is not, this is not how it works." And I said, "I've got to get out of here." And it was good because it, it, you can be a product of your environment, but you're no matter where you are, there you are, right? So that's important, but product of your environment is a thing, and L.A. is very special, and it's a bunch of um, Robin Hoods. Um, no, I'm sorry, Peter Pans. A bunch of P- Peter Pans everywhere. Like, they don't want to grow up. And Oklahoma people, they grow up, so. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's like, brings me to, like, you know, another big shift that happened when you moved back to Oklahoma was uh, you started to produce, you know, at a rapid pace. Like, your output as a producer, became extensive. Hellraiser, Judgment. So was that part of the decision to go back to Oklahoma was was getting back there on a production and getting into the groove of things there again a bit for a little while? And... No, no. It kind of let me know there was something here. Right. But I didn't know how much was here. I was very happy. I'm happy with how the film turned out. You know, there's been so many bad ones in between. I liked it. But it was good. And it brings me to another one of our Instagram quotes here. Opportunities are usually disguised as hard work, so most people don't recognize them. I I have joked a few times with people that you and I both know about you being probably the hardest working guy I know in show business. Like that, I think that's a safe thing to say of your work ethic. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's times like my fiance and slash business partner is she worked harder than I do when it comes to like computer work and getting things done, but if when I'm on my own, especially on my own, I get things done. Like I will not sit around. I cannot sit around and I will be successful in whatever I'm doing. And even when COVID hit and we had to stay home, I didn't do that. I went and became a roofing contractor and I started selling roofs and I was the top salesman in the company two months in a row. And it was the second biggest company in Oklahoma. And it just goes towards work ethic because uh, I don't expect it to come to me. I have to go get it knowing you as a person and then you know knowing you professionally but like you're one of those guys like i never have talked to you and be like hey Randy, what's going on what are you working on these days how do you be like not much there's always like this 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 like do you think that you would be content being idle for any extended period of time well we're trying it like this is our first break and and uh we were going to take building a rent- the rental business and traveling but here we are like oh i've got a couple movie offers oh we've got three movie offers here let's go we got hired to do some budgets and we have a slate of movies coming up so we have a few that we're working on that's exciting stuff and now that i'm auditioning again let's see what happens 
Thank you so much, man, for doing this. I really appreciate your time, your, your stories. Uh, keep going, man. We love watching you. You're a great actor, great guy. Thank you so much, Randy. You've been listening to Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane, produced by Jason Hill, and edited by Justin Beam. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. Original artwork and design elements generously provided by Matthew Terrian. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by the support of listeners like you. And the most important thing that you can do to ensure that these amazing interviews keep coming is to simply get the word out. You can find us on Facebook by searching Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts, on Instagram by searching one word, Spill Your Guts underscore podcast, and Twitter at Spill Your Guts underscore one, as in the number one. So post, comment, share, like, but don't forget, there's still no substitute for good old-fashioned word of mouth. The best way you can support what we do is to just tell people about us your friends, your family, your co-workers, whomever, anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for guts. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening. 